millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio this week with uh, some special guests. If you're a longtime listener, you know we often have uh, one-name guests here. Uh, this week, that's the situation. We have Matt and Linda. They are working among a tribal group in Asia, and we will talk a little bit about uh, what it's like to bring the gospel into that situation, what it looks like for someone to come to faith. Matt and Linda, welcome. Mm, thank you, Todd. Great to be here. Let's talk about how persecution happens in, in an animus situation. And the tribal group that you're working among is an animistic tribal group. So I live in a village. I hear the gospel. Maybe it's a radio broadcast. Maybe somebody comes to the village and shares Christ with me. And I say, man, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. What's going to happen to me? Or, or, or what does that look like? Yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. Um, what's interesting in in a group like the one that we work with, oftentimes the thing the first thing that really gets people's attention to draw their attention to God and to Christ is is a, some kind of a power encounter. And in that case, it would mean they they maybe have been praying and uh, seeking the help of a shaman uh, for healing. And oftentimes they bring they believe uh, in that situation that the spirits. Uh, would be the ones that could bring a, bring a healing. Oftentimes they would believe it's because they've done something against the spirits uh, that a person might become sick. And oftentimes uh, they will have exhausted all means, whether it's giving animal sacrifices or, or other things like that. Maybe they've gone to the doctor, but uh, if they have not been healed from some sickness or perhaps like, uh, like a demonization, they will sometimes go to the Christian pastor who may be in a nearby village and ask for them to pray. And kind, it's, of, kind of as a last resort? It kind it's of like, as a last like resort. Like else worked. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to see what God does in those situations. He shows himself to be the almighty God. And in the name of Jesus, there are many people whose bodies and uh, hearts are touched in ways that, that communicate, you know, just in fact, you know, who God is, one who loves them, who is the power over sickness and other things. Um, but oftentimes in those cultures, um, this kind of animistic belief system is that the spirits that are out there, whether they're spirits of the ancestors or spirits that reside in the land where they live, uh, sometimes it's kind of spirits of nature, of trees and whatnot in the forest, they believe that they need to keep those spirits appeased and they need to find this kind of harmony with that spirit world. And so a lot of their whole you know, belief system and what they do, whether it relates to you know, keeping health in their, in their family's life or getting you know, the crops that they need after they plant, it's all wrapped around uh, you know, keeping this good relationship with the spirits. Because of that, you know, there can be uh, persecution if not everybody in the village is kind of on board. So when a person comes to faith 
and they they learn that Jesus, the name of Jesus, has power, that God is real, um, and they stop trying to p- appease the spirits and they turn toward God. There is often a backlash that comes from the community because they believe that that can expose the rest of the community to the bad things that can come if if they're not appeasing the spirits. Uh, in the tribal communities where we serve, they also have various taboos. So, And the whole village has to participate in following the taboos. For example, you can't eat certain things. Maybe certain days you can't wear certain colors. Or they have special days of rest in the or, village. Or the spirits will get mad. Or the spirits will get mad, right. And retribution will come to the whole community. So if the whole community doesn't participate, there's a lot of concern. So it's not so much you believe in Jesus and somehow I'm offended by that. It is you believe in Jesus and that's going to bring trouble on our village. That's right. The, I think the off- rain's not going to come. The crops aren't going to grow. Something bad right. is going to happen. So then what do the villagers do to say, wait a minute, you're making trouble for us. How do they respond to that? What we've heard, at least in our setting, if there's an individual or family that's turned to Christ, they'll start to be marginalized in different ways. You know, People in the village say the village chief might tell the people, don't sell them any salt or don't, you know, don't sell them any oil until they, you know, until they turn back to the spirits or until they recant their faith. In extreme situations, too, we've heard of instances when people refuse to recant uh, their faith. People can be forcibly removed from the village. You know, the village chief will come and other village members and kind of escort the people out and say, you cannot live among us if you're going to believe in Christ. So they can be left homeless. Some people we've heard of have had to go live in the forest for a period of time. At times, it might be different kinds of vandalism on their property. If they have a tractor or whatever, their tractor's uh, sabotaged or We've heard of even, you know, crops being burned and things like that. You know, it's kind of like you're disturbing the harmony of our community. You know, I didn't realize uh, when we had gone into a situation where we knew there there would likely be situations of persecution, uh, I don't know if I really realized that it, it really takes place at that very basic community level. Yeah. You know, it's not something engineered necessarily by the government, but it's something that, that can happen just because of their belief system. And in some ways, I would think that's almost harder. It's not the government coming after you. It's your neighbors. It's the people who you've known all your life who are now saying, we don't want anything to do with you. And you yeah. can be really left high and dry uh, in terms of where are you going to live. And, you know, your family, they may own land where they plant their rice crops. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon for Christian families to really be left with very few alternatives. So— how do you prepare believers to not walk away from their faith when the whole village turns against them, when they come and escort them out and say, hey, you can't live here anymore? And oftentimes, the the thing that is amazing to me is oftentimes these are pretty new believers, that this is how, it's not like, you know, they've been to seminary and, and gotten really strong to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. How do you get them ready? Or have they just seen something in Jesus that they won't? give up? Oh, it's a good question. You know, Jesus himself talked about the fact that there would be people that when they experience persecution, they may turn away. In our particular project, though, we, I guess we really understand the importance of people um, knowing the stories of the scripture and understanding kind of the character of God 
through those stories, starting with the Old Testament stories and continuing through um, the ministry of Jesus, and even then into the stories of, of the book of Acts. And I think what we've seen is if people can really internalize those stories, uh, that gives them a, a faith in God that really it can then connect them with their own situation once they start to experience some of these things. Even like the story of Abraham, when God called him out of his family to a new place and a new land, but he promised much blessing. And that even through him, that blessing would go uh, to many other people, many other nations even. I mean, that shows that our God has a plan for our lives and that sometimes it goes against the grain of our own cultures, you know. Of course, you know, something in the Old Testament. We, we just prepared a set of stories from the Old Testament in the language that we work with. Um, it included the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And though there have been churches in the community that we've been working with for quite a few years, actually generation already, there weren't many people that actually knew that story. So you want to talk about a power encounter. Um, that's what was going on there. And even though, you know, I mean, just look at in that story, Elijah was so outnumbered, you know, by the prophets of Baal. The king and most of the people of Israel were following the ways of, of Baal. And uh, Elijah was kind of the only one. And a story like that, and especially seeing how God responded to kind of keep his own reputation and to pro proclaim himself the one true God through that story, that gives encouragement, I think, to many people. Well, and as you said, so many of them have had a power encounter with mm -hmm. God that, that led them into faith. So mm -hmm. when they read a story like that, it's not like, wow, that's amazing. I, I've never heard of such a thing. It's like, oh, wait, that this is the same God that, that healed me. This is the same God that moved in my situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we had done uh, a set of the book of Exodus as well. And of course, the book of Exodus, uh, there's so much in there. I mean, really for us, but... For their cultures, you know, just seeing that this God was a God above the great King Pharaoh, a God, uh, you know, with, with authority over these gods of the people of, of, of Egypt, uh, which was the greatest nation in the world at that time, and that, that this God, Yahweh, was able to not only bring them out from under the, the captivity and the oppression of Pharaoh, you know, in the people of Egypt, but he had a plan for them. He wanted to make them into, you know, as it says in Exodus chapter 19, a kingdom of priests, uh, his special treasure. And, uh, you know, knowing that in Christ that plan is being fulfilled and has been fulfilled um, for those who come to faith in him. That, I think, has been encouragement for them too. You know, um, and Jesus, of course, made it very clear to his followers that you know, persecutions will follow. Um, he's not bringing us down an easy, easy path, um, but it's a path that is bringing the kingdom of God and the realization of, of the one true God as the sovereign ruler and gracious Lord over all creation and over all nations. That's powerful. And so those are the kinds of things I think that really any of us believers here, uh, whether it be here in the United States or in a place where, in a tribal society where people are feeling those kinds of pressures, um, that is encouragement to remain faithful. And I think we've seen that the Christian community, even though there may not be many more Christians in that village, Christians in nearby villages who have been following Jesus for a little bit longer and have experienced persecution themselves really come around new believers and support them and let them know they are not on their own. You know, there is a community of Jesus followers that will stand by them, even in the midst of being rejected by their neighbors. 
Yeah, and, and that was going to be one of my questions. When, when you get marched out of your village and told, hey, you don't live here anymore, go live in the forest, go live wherever, hmm. are there Christians who are willing to say, hey, why don't you come stay with us for a couple nights? Hey, let's make sure you have enough rice. So it sounds like, yes, there are, and that's a key part of, of responding to this pressure. Hmm. Yes, for sure. I think we have seen that, and that's one of the, I think, the beautiful things that we have been privileged to observe, just the solidarity and the support that the Christian community gives to their brothers and sisters who are going through hard times, because those who have been believers for a while know that's going to come. And they understand how that feels, and they're ready to come alongside for as long as it takes. Amen. Matt and Linda, I know one of the things you're involved in is Sunday school programs, and especially training teachers, providing materials, getting God's Word into the minds and hearts of children. Why is that such a significant need in your tribal environment? In the people group among whom we work, Parents are very busy as as subsistence farmers. They spend most of their days out on the fields and even in the weekends. You know, they're, you know, walking long distances to their fields to work. And, you know, on the weekends, maybe there isn't as much for for the kids to do. So I think the church has realized, you know, if the church is going to continue, we need to invest in the next generation. And it's been exciting for us to see uh, the response of the church when they have materials in their hands and some training. You know, they're reaching out to the kids, and often the people who are trained to be Sunday school teachers are older teenagers and uh, young mothers. And once they're equipped and have a vision for children's ministry, they're really embracing it. Yeah, and in, in particularly during this time of COVID, um, I mean, a lot of schools and places like where we, we work have not really been operating much. And the kids, they just haven't had many organized activities. They, their actual uh, opportunities for education are very kind of minimal. But when there are special things that kids can do together in the village, like like these uh, Sunday school lessons, it really has drawn a fair bit of interest. Reports that we've gotten in the last you know few months have shown that actually in some of the places, maybe a third of the kids that are starting to come to the Sunday school groups are from unbelieving families. What does an unbelieving family say when when they realize, hey, wait a minute, you're you're teaching my child about this way that might make the spirits mad. You know, this is going to make trouble for us. How do the how do the parents respond? Yeah, well, we have heard there have been parents, you know, that tried to for, forbid their kids uh, from going. What we're hearing though, which is interesting, is the kids are really as they learn about the character of God and his desire for people to walk in his steps, to know his love and his goodness, these kids' lives are being changed. And as they learn about the love of Jesus, these unbelieving parents are noticing uh, changes in their kids. And that is, that is actually changing the way they're responding to you know this this uh, connection with uh, the local churches in the villages. And uh, we've heard a story in, uh, in particular one area – a village chief who was not a believer who would typically be one that would try to protect the village from, you know, Christian influence. Um, he has been encouraging his kids to go to the Sunday school program in the village. There's a new openness, I guess, in, in that situation. So those stories really warm our yeah, hearts. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what you're telling him, but my kid is better now, so keep telling him it. What's the literacy rate? You mentioned that for many of these stories from the Bible are new. 
Is that because the Bible doesn't exist in the language you're working among, or is it just because the literacy rate is low, or just because people don't have Bibles? Or all of the above. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a good, that's a good question. I'm not sure we know the complete answer. One of the parts of the answer is even in the national language in this country, uh, the Old Testament followed the New Testament by, by many years um, in terms of being translated and approved. And I don't think the church really is in the habit of, of telling those stories, reading those stories. There aren't actually that many pastors that have formal training in the Bible, but they would typically be talking or preaching about the New Testament stories, which is wonderful. Obviously, we want to know, have people know Jesus. So that might be one of the reasons that this, this story and this set of stories from the Old Testament uh, tends to be quite new, um, even in the, in the places where the church has been for, you know, a, a couple decades. That encourages us, too. We want people— Obviously, in this culture, to have deep roots in the Word of God and to understand His character, understand His big, big plan, you know, as it's revealed in the Scriptures, and we've been encouraged that uh, th their understanding of that, and and especially the kids, seems to be growing in ways that we believe should produce good fruit. How much of that filters up from the children to the grown-ups? If you're preparing Sunday school lessons, you're teaching it to young people. Are the, do the grown-ups kind of come and observe and sit in the back, or do the kids go home and tell the stories, and then the grown-ups come back and say, wait a minute, my, how, how does it filter up into the adults? Yeah, in, in a couple different ways. We are hearing reports of parents who are seeing, you know, enough change for the good in their kids that they're curious, and the children are saying, hey, Mom and Dad, why don't you come too? They have special time when, you know, adults can also learn these stories. And there are stories of families coming to faith through the children because they see the kids are more respectful to their parents. They're more loving to their siblings. And, you know, what is this about? So one pathway is through the children uh -huh. directly bringing the parents. And then in our work, we also do help prepare Sunday school materials for adults okay. as well. So they kind of have parallel teaching happening in the church. So those parents who are already believers, they're also engaging in these stories at the same time. There was a young mother who was, was the Sunday school teacher in this village, and they had been teaching through the book of Exodus. Part of that was to teach the kids the Ten Commandments, part of the covenant that, that God, that Yahweh was making with his people. And so actually our team created a poster that had, you know, the two tablets and the, the in the local language, you know, the, the commandments, um, you know, and then taught uh, as part of that, you know, what, what Jesus taught and was what um, Moses taught in the book of Deuteronomy where, you know, what is the greatest commandment, you know, to love to love the Lord Yahweh with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, kind of as a summary of of you know God's God's commands. And the the mother had taught you know her kids as well as the other Sunday school kids this lesson, and um, then uh, later on uh, she had given uh, like some kind of special treat. I don't know, it must have been candy or something to her kids. Then her kids actually proceeded to share it with friends. And the mother's first reaction was, uh, don't, don't share that. You know, <laughs> I gave that to you. You should keep it for yourself. And the kids said back to her, didn't you tell us to love our neighbor as ourselves? And the mother caught herself. She realized, my kids learned this lesson better than, better I, did. than I did. That, that was really wow. interesting to hear. 
the scripture changes people. Uh-huh. You know, it changes it changes the way you live. It changes you from the inside out. Matt and Linda, one of the things we always try to do is equip our listeners to pray. So as as we're thinking about your work, as we're thinking about work among tribal people and animistic people in Asia, what are some specific things that we can pray for? First thing that comes to my mind, these village communities I mean, there are all kinds of pressures on them, economic pressures and other things. And, you know, drug trafficking, the spread of use of things like uh, methamphetamines and such. I mean, it, it gets out into these village areas and it gets down to the ages of even grade school kids sometimes. I met a pastor whose 13-year-old son has been uh, become addicted to, to meth. And so that would be one thing to pray for these young kids. We are, we believe that this these programs are helping uh, protect the kids from these outside influences of the world. Um, that you know, there's so many out there that can really ensnare people. I mean, here in our society, I think we understand that. Pray for the kids that these stories they would be able to take them to heart. They would give them wisdom that goes beyond their years and and an ability in situations where they need to say no to these outside influence to be able to do that and to continue to be a light um, in their areas. And pray that especially for uh, the Sunday school teachers. Some of them, you know, the 13, 14, 15-year-old kids are actually taking on that role of Sunday school teacher. Pray that they can grow in their discipleship with Jesus and be an example to the kids in their villages, and whether it be a, a young mom or or other people in the church that are, that are taking on those roles, that those people would be would be faithful. And, you know, take the time that's needed to, you know, prepare and even to pray for their kids. We were really encouraged by one Sunday school teaching team, a young, young man and woman. When kids weren't coming to Sunday school, they took the opportunity to actually go out and visit the, the families of the kids and say, why, hey, why weren't you there? They, they took that initiative of their own. And so that is encouraging. If that kind of um, commitment and faithfulness, um, that the, the Holy Spirit would, would bring that on these, uh, these young teachers, God's kingdom will certainly grow. Uh, in their midst. I would say, too, just pray for strength and encouragement because the teachers are often the target for persecution. We have one teacher, she's a young mother, who reported to our team that, you know, every Sunday she dresses up in a, you know, in special clothes to, to walk across the village, to go to church, to teach the kids. And all along the pathway on her way to church, villagers are shouting unpleasant things to her, you know, are you crazy? You know, are you out of your mind? Why are you dressed so nice? These are just kids. Um, we don't need any more Christians in this village. She says, but I just, I hold my head high and I keep walking and I'm reminded that I'm doing this because Jesus has called me to do this. And it's not always easy. The perse- persecution can come in, you know, very outward ways like this or in subtle ways by being shunned from the community. So just pray for these teachers that they continue to see the importance of this mission and feel, yeah, just the Holy Spirit's presence alongside them. Amen. Mm-hmm. Matt and Linda, thank you for sharing. Thank you for your ministry. It is exciting to hear what God is doing in your part of the world. Uh, and thanks for being our guest. Oh, thank you, Ty. Thank you. It's been our blessing. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom 
www.ordinarymoney.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.